Good evening. I'm, I'm back here just for a, a reason as we look through the kingdom of God and understand all of the various messages that have been over the past few weeks. I uh, got really kind of downloaded a lot when Pastor Mark said, hey, you know, would you mind speaking on one of these? And so I'm back here and really tonight, because I'm back here and even last week, the Holy Spirit worked awesome, right? Who was here for the sound and uh, the, <clears throat> the word of God? And he was in that room and I went, oh, this is really weird how the Holy Spirit works. Because it, in the kingdom, leadership is really critical and leadership is, is a perspective that oftentimes is viewed a little differently. And one of the awesome object lessons that I've seen out there um, in, in a different message, there was a quote that was said along with it, and it's um, uh, Pastor T.D. Jakes, and he says, if you're looking for leadership, you don't always have to look to the front to find it. And I went, there's a lot of, of content in there as you start to look through and understand the perspective of God's kingdom to where then you go on and where Nelson Mandela shares with us uh, a very powerful quote here. It says, I always remember the Regent Axiom, and uh, that was an individual in uh, Nelson Mandela's life. And he goes along and he says, a leader, he said, is like a shepherd. He stays behind the flock, letting the most nimble go ahead, and whereupon the others follow, not realizing that all along they are being directed from behind. And you think through that, and as I have experience in leadership and, and did things um, with uh, my doctoral program in that, kind of look and go, there's a lot in the verse that we're looking through in, in the kingdom and the final judgment that points to leadership and how we do things. And so even here is a verse that, you know, Jesus Christ, our Savior, I would like to start with and then I'll pray over is it's from John 10, 14 through 16. It says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I know my sheep know me just as my father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them along also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So tonight, while we look at kingdom leadership and the government of God, we're going to start to look at this from a perspective of where do you lead and how do you follow? And thinking through that, there's a lot of different perspectives that I would ask you to sort of look through tonight. We're going to walk through some examples in the Bible, definitely a lot of word, uh, but also some other things that I think you'll have fun with. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray in a moment of silence here, and we'll jump in. We thank you, God the Father, for this awesome opportunity to bring your word forward, to understand a bit more about the kingdom of God and how we participate in this today, and that your relevance of your word is alive and well all through all of our, our, our lives now and forevermore and through to eternity. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to, to meet here together in this church. We ask, Lord, that just as uh, Pastor Mark says, anything that is of me, may we look through that with a deeper lens, throw out uh, the bone, chew on the muscle and the meat, and definitely those things that are of you, we know, Lord, we, we can gather that from your word, dig deeper, and learn more. We thank you for all of this, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Precious name, amen. amen. So the question here tonight, as you kind of come along, and I already threw out there, is as believers in Christ, does it really matter where you lead or how you follow? Does it truly impact the kingdom? In thinking through that, you start to look, and, and the key message last week as we heard through the sound and that, and God's word, as you recall, Pastor Mark had said, God speaks, speaks it, but the work is on you. 
And we think about how that works. Well, in any type of, of uh, structure out there in the kingdom, we have a leader, we have followers, and we have a lot of different roles that moves through that. And all the way along the way, the core meaning, as we think through, is obedience, right? We said, and, and uh, Garth did an awesome message about the tactical aspects of the kingdom. So if you haven't had an opportunity to, to hear that, would definitely encourage you to go back to My Believers, pull it up, and, and go through there because he just chucked us full of God's word and how all of that flows. And I think you'd agree with me, uh, Garth, in terms of just how the Holy Spirit works. You look and go, whoa, if we tried to put this all together ourselves, we'd utterly mess up. But we look at the obedience we have in the kingdom. We look through how all of this fits together and stand there and say, well, does it truly matter how I follow? And does it truly impact the kingdom or how I lead? And you stand there and the question may be yes, but also I would like to dig deeper into the scripture that we have been looking at and look at it from a different perspective, as I said tonight. So as we go through here, we have, but the son of God, and when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the kingdom will say, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And that's our, our core verse. And as I was putting things together for this um, series, there was a couple of different things. I was um, kind of joking with the guys and said, I was, was looking in this direction. And then God said, nope, downloaded a, a fair amount. And as I was going through and, and really getting some perspectives around this, it's very interesting how God opened up his word, started to open up a different perspective of uh, the characters and the players in the scripture that we have here. And so I leave you with a thought that you can start to write on your sheet there. Is the kingdom is full of sheep and how they are led is important to God. Would we agree with that? The general consensus? Yes, it is, right? It is important. But let's dig deeper into that. And, you know, it was kind of interesting because then even, you know, God will have fun downloading his word to you. And he looks and I'm standing there going, okay, how are we going to condense this down and have a little bit of fun and, and really dig in? And looking and he said, really, you need to focus on the sheep. There's over 500 references to sheep in the Bible. I'm like, okay, let's have some fun here, you know. <laughs> going, we'll dig in and, and see where we go. <clears throat> but as you look at that and you start to understand the significance of the sheep, and the sheep being people, right? We are God's people, but also in the Bible, he references us to sheep. And you say, well, that's just Bible 101. That's pretty elementary. But there's so much more, and there's a lot of depth there that we'll get into tonight. As you start to look through and you say, well, a sheep, sheep can't live without a shepherd. And understanding all of the differences there and even looking at the shepherd. And you stand here and go, okay, you're standing in the back. You're bringing in a quote about leading from the back. You're bringing in the fact of a shepherd and a sheep, and oh, well, pastor's not here. I'm not here to speak about the shepherds of the house, not here to speak about the elders, not here to speak about that. I'm here to speak about us collectively as the sheep within, yes, this church, but is there not a bigger kingdom? Is there not an opportunity for us as we're called at this moment in time in our lives to move forward and truly be the sheep that God has called us to be? And in that moment, there's other things that kind of occur as we move through and look at this. So what I'd like to do is walk through the characteristics of our kind of key players in the verse here. 
So let's start with a shepherd. You look through and sort of understand the shepherd, right? They, they, they guide and lead. So clearly there's a level of leadership there. <clears throat> Intimately involved with the flock. And this isn't just, hey, the Bible and the way it is. This is just the way shepherds, and there's, today there's shepherds physically going out there tending to flocks of sheep. <clears throat> They're concerned for the safety of each member for each sheep in the flock. <clears throat> Willing to sacrifice their own comfort, even their own life. You stand there and go, wow. You know, and, 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 and as I said that disclosure before, I would best guess, I know a lot of pastors out there, I know Pastor Mark would definitely do the same, Pastor Gene would do the same, that's the, the perspective there. But if you even shift it back into uh, biblical times, found some interesting stuff, and I thought, well, that, that's really true. Is shepherd, they, they weren't considered clean in biblical times. The shepherd in the kingdom was actually viewed as, hey, you're not holy enough to come and, and worship God. They had flies on them. You think about they're their getting cuts and scars and, and living the true uh, aspect of cleaning and taking care of their flock. They're, in, in, in ancient times, they were not considered the elite. They weren't uh, a part of uh, what the community would look to say, hey, you're, you're fantastic there. So then we look at the sheep. This is rather interesting. Social in a flock, they avoid seclusion. Uh, docile by nature and defenseless. And you say, well, where'd you get all this? I, I did a little bit of additional research and we'll bring the source in a little bit here later. And it's rather funny because I looked at it, I'm, I'm not a uh, agricultural specialist at all, but I started to dig down deep and I'm like, well, there's some very interesting, unique characteristics here that I wasn't fully aware of, but then even deeper, we'll, we'll go into a, a perspective but you look at, at superior memory retention, they like routine. Oh, okay, I would agree with that. I've seen that ever since I was a child and knowing about different uh, examples of, of farm animals and even you know, a lot of Bible stories, you go, wow, there's, there's a lot there. But we can always go deeper in our faith, deeper in the connection we have to the, king, the kingdom and understanding our role as sheep and knowing this very last point, I went, I, I truly did not know that. I, I would just ask by a show of hands, anybody know that very last point? that a sheep would flock nor, more towards light than dark. And I was standing there going, wow, God, the revelation you have in just choosing way before the time, way before creation, right? That, that's where we're focused on the kingdom. You brought sheep and said, hey, all of us in this room, we're sheep. <clears throat> because then you look at goats and you say, okay, curious and intelligent, yes. I would agree with that, right? Then you look, go, they're constantly challenging each other for supremacy or premise, uh, primary uh, supremacy in the herd. You go, well, that's interesting. And sheep, eh, you might look and say sheep may do the same, uh, may not do, do the same. But man, I've, I've heard some fun, interesting goat stories. I think uh, if JJ was here or if Chris Redman was here, we've, we've had some really fun ones. And I think uh, even Garth, you've shared a few fun, interesting stories of, of livestock. But you look at the last one there, it's gathering in herds of a family, family friends, maybe two by two, and they face each other in opposite directions so that they have up to 360 degree vis visibility. That's kind of an interesting perspective. I would just say, hold that one in your head here in a little bit when we jump forward and start to look at a little bit more. So now we have our characteristics of these key players. We, we need to kind of look at this from the problem of the world and understanding as we go through in today's marketplace and you start to look at where I started in the rear and leading from behind, 
it tends to have a negative connotation sometimes, right? You look at leading from behind, it can be viewed as a weakness. Um, that was clearly evident in, in some of our political things we've done as a nation uh, and viewed upon. But also, there's a bit more in, in mainstream business and in, in the marketplace that has started to adopt leading from behind and an opportunity to, to make it effective. But the thought is that it's ineffective and it decreases morale. And that's if the leader's not engaged with the followers, is not doing the things that they need to do. Also, there's limited flexibility causing relentless alienation. And the thought being is, hey, the manager or the leader's in the back there not doing anything at all, and I wish they'd come up and, and be by my side. I wish they'd help me along the way. But yet you look at that Nelson Mandela quote and, and how you know, he goes, hey, we're trying to do some things here that people may not have realized and may not have understood and all of a sudden they realize, wow, they were being led the whole time. Keep that perspective in your head. So we're leading in the front, right? Naturally. Somebody's anchored up front. And you have a perspective of, well, they're telling me what they're telling me or they're showing me what I need to show. It's viewed as a strength, right? They play an active role. They're visible. They can be seen. <clears throat> but then demonstrating convincing leadership, they go first, right? <clears throat> so as we move through all that, we have to look at a solution here and understand the solution in the kingdom is it not all about approach. And you start to go back to that initial question about how do we lead and where do we follow and start to understand in God's kingdom, there's a whole nature to our approach and what we need to do and what others do within the kingdom and how that works. <clears throat> so as we look at the kingdom and what's all about approach, this is where I kind of throw at you some interesting aspects of tending sheep and looking at, at some of the research that I pulled up. And uh, if anything, I hope that for many of you, this is mind blowing and you start to look back and think about, well, wait a moment. God said we're sheep, as I said earlier. And God's word was formed before the foundations of the earth. That's, that's a whole purpose of our kingdom message. So we start to look at the first part of sheep, and humans, we have binocular vision, is what they call it, and sheep have what's considered both monocular and binocular vision. Monocular vision is seen with one eye, so you look at that, you know, that the eye over here, oops, I won't see it too much, but you can see the, the upper sides, if you imagine the sheep here on the one side here, and the other side of the eye, they can see in only... 60 degrees roughly on the sides of their heads. But then for a little bit of, of their, their view, they can see how we see as humans, right? That little, little view there is seeing with only two eyes at a time about 180 degrees. And I forgot, I, I think I looked it up and said, well, it's, it's relevant, but yet I forget the, the fact. I think our, our vision is, is, you know, not a little bit more than 180, but it's still not a full view of everything out there, right? <clears throat> so you look at the sheep and you start to understand and say, well, there's an interesting view here of how sheep just see the world and how they see their leader, how they see their shepherd. <clears throat> so you continue on here and you start to look at what they kind of threw out a vision, said, hey, there's a blind, a blind spot here when the sheep is looking forward, right? Because we said they can see up to about 180 degrees. Well, even for us, we can't see behind us, right? So we start to look at the blind spots, the back of the head. 
It's when it's raised. Sheep standing there raised up, back of the head, it's not going to see you. And so all along the way, they're saying, hey, wait a minute. Approach from the rear, one remains undetected. They got a better chance of getting a hold. You go, wow, that's, that's rather interesting. Well, let's bring our, our, our spiritual perspective into this. And you start to look and understand, you know, the spiritual blindness. And <clears throat> understanding how that works is one that can hear the truth, right? They've heard the Bible. You know, they'll scoff at anybody standing around the corner preaching God's word or necessarily come into the church and sit right next to you and hear the word, hear God's word, but then turn around and the meaning is truthless, has no truth to them, is, is meaningless to them. <clears throat> so we have Ephesians 4.18 here to where Paul shares a perspective of unity and, and maturity in the body of Christ further on in, in Ephesians 4. Before 18, he's looking at no longer living as Gentiles. And as we move through this verse, it says their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from their life God has given them because they close their eyes, uh, their minds, and harden their hearts against him. We can almost even say they've closed their eyes. Uh, God wanted that thrown in there, but God's word says they've closed their minds. And so as we think through that, what Paul was telling us is, hey, wait a minute. You, You have a new world. You have a new life that you're living. But yet, how many do we think of that are out there that he was speaking to the church? He's speaking to Gentiles uh, and, and those in, or in the church that necessarily are looking and they, they, they don't understand truly what it means to be born again, to be saved. And they were living as blind sheep. <clears throat> There's an interesting proverb out there that I laughed about when I looked at this one. It says, don't approach a goat from the front or a horse from the back or fool from any side. And I thought, wow, it's a Jewish proverb at that. I'm like, this, this is really interesting how you're kind of chucking things in here, God, and, and putting that forward. <clears throat> because even as we look and, and, you know, 1 Peter 2, 25 tells us, once you were sheep and you wandered away, but now you turned and your shepherd, the guardian, of, is the guardian of your, soul, of your soul. And so when we start to look at how we move along and really understand the problem of the world, and we understand the perspective of, well, if I can only see 180 degrees of my world, and if I'm a sheep, uh, necessarily, there's those sheep that you think about, well, how God's word has has entered and, and become a part of them, we start to look at the perspective in an opportunity way. And so leading from behind tends to be what we call transformational did a lot of work when I was doing my dissertation on transformational leadership and the whole concept of this. And as you move through, the solution in the kingdom really is a balanced approach. So while leading from the behind is is important, leading from the front is also important. And so as we go in and look at what we call the balanced approach, you start to think about what I was saying earlier is, how many sheep do we know that are caught from the front? I don't know very many. I, I know if, if somebody's really wanting to wrestle the sheep, they might be able to get them down. But in most cases, they're going to flee if they don't know the shepherd, if they don't know who they are. So then we look at this balanced approach. In forward movement, what happens? If a leader steps behind, oftentimes there's movement forward versus 
backward movement occurs if someone stands in front of that point of balance. This isn't necessarily dealing with, with just leadership. This was in my discovery of agriculture and how we handle livestock and doing things. And I went, that's a revelation. You know, God, you speak through everything in your creation. Amen? We all should look through that and go, well, wow, this is very interesting. But then a truth I throw out there is none of us, none of us came kicking and screaming to accept Jesus Christ. Truth. You know, and God's standing there working on me and saying, hey, wait a minute. You know, there, there's a lot here as we dig in and look through his, his ministry and understanding, you know, as, as he digs forward and says, hey, you know, repent, turn, come to me. Matthew 4, 17, Mark, Jesus went up to Galilee and he preached all of the good news. And that's in Mark 1, 14. So right out of the bat, you know, we, we, we get Mark, uh, uh, where Jesus is moving forward and driving the kingdom forward. And then even Zechariah 1.13, Therefore say to your people, this is what the lords of heaven's armies say. Return to me and I will return to you, says the, lords, uh, uh, the Lord of heaven's, uh, heaven's army. And then even Acts 3.19, we get past the, the, the new church and the Holy Spirit there. And now repent from your sins, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away. And that's just throughout the Bible as we start to look at all of the different opportunities for that transformation to occur. <clears throat> and we stand in here and we look at, in the Greek, different uh, words used, or Hebrew, different words used around the concept of, of transformation. I couldn't quite find the exact um, uh, Hebrew shift from uh, in, in the Bible because the word transformation isn't really used in the King James. <clears throat> but hapka as we go back and, and go through, is to turn oneself, turn back, to change oneself or return. Where hafka is become, change, be converted. So you've got two different words there as those verses that I shared kind of glean through the original text, uh, Greek and Hebrew, into these two words here. <clears throat> and we look at how the world approaches this, and it's this aspect of transformational leadership as I shared. And so as we go in and look at transformational leadership, really as it boils down, is it's a leadership approach that causes change in what? In individuals and social systems. You know, that's pretty obvious. But yet as you look through and understand a bit more, really the end goal of transformational leadership in uh, 78 and, and 85, we have uh, James Byrne, Burns and um, Bernard Bass, as they move through, what they were working on is looking at more the aspect of, and, and I'll quote this to you, transformational leadership creates value and positive change in the followers with the end goal of developing followers into leaders. And it's a very secular approach. As I dug through, I went to Liberty University for, for, for my um, degree and had to connect both secular and, and world in research and that also along with God's word and standing there and, and even looking through and going there's a lot of, of psychology that doesn't tend to acknowledge God's word. There's a lot of processes and things out there in the marketplace that look and go oh this is just the way we do it. But yet when you look at the perspective and you look at the lens from 
God's word, all of a sudden you say, wait a minute, you didn't come up with that. God thought of that first. You just kind of, it, it either happened upon you. He wanted you to say that. You may not be a believer or as a believer, you start to connect. You hear those things and move through. <clears throat> and so even as we look at this, this final thought here is there's a dimension of God's kingdom that's unseen until we are reborn. Would we agree with that? Even Isaiah prophesied well before Jesus came. What did he say in Isaiah 53, 6? All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of all of us. <clears throat> so as we start to think through the concept of, of sheep and really digging in here, we do need to look at this a little bit differently, and I'm going to bring you back to this approach of the kingdom. And then we're going to talk about some uh, different characters within the Bible. I've got three of them particularly that brought a unique perspective to this whole notion of us being sheep and how we may lead and follow. So in here as we look, we've got now a full view of what this, uh, it was a two-page document that I had re retrieved the source down there. It says the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture. And I looked at this and read a couple of the bullet points on, on the document. I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. <clears throat> because what happens in this lower view, you see that, that last view, the sheep's head is doing what? It's down, right? It's grazing. We've heard, oh, I've heard you say this many times, Garth. Graze on the word of God, you know, and there's a lot of, 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 of opportunity there. <clears throat> As you look in 360-degree vision, with the head down in a grazed position, all directions can be seen. All. Good for defensive adaptation of predators can be seen from all sides. So as we start to look through this, we look at God's word and say, wait a minute. <laughs> he, was, he was kind of thinking something here. <laughs> He's a lot smarter than I standing up here giving this to you. <clears throat> Is that look in Hebrews, we've gotten some of this from, from Gar's message. And even last week, uh, we were talking about this next verse that will pop up there, 2 Timothy. But Hebrews 4.11, for the word of God is alive and powerful and what? Sharp as a sword. <clears throat> Moving on to 2 Timothy 3, 6, uh, 16, uh, 3, 16 through 17. And I love the NIV and how they um, play this out. Sorry, Garth, no, no King James there, but uh, the NIV is awesome. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, right? Bute, rebuking, correcting, and training in the righteous, so that the servant of God may be what? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's why I love the NIV, is thoroughly equipped. And thinking through that and going, well, wait a minute. If, I, if I'm coming in to understand and being reborn in the kingdom of God, I may only have this 60-degree, 180-degree view. It may be all of a sudden, what did God say to do? turn and repent. He's speaking behind you, right? <clears throat> and understanding that. But yet as I grow and as I move further along in my journey, it's God's word. As I'm standing there and reading God's word with my head down, I have 360 degree view of his kingdom. Yeah. That's just something that, you know, is, is powerful. And you think about that today in leadership, there's a whole notion of 360 degree feedback. Uh, funny story, my son was, was doing a um, project for, well, actually not a project, but uh, a uh, application for um, uh, a scholarship. He's going to go to Toccoa Falls uh, next, not this coming fall, but next fall. Um, and just to turn to mom and dad said, hey, you know, I think um, they, they want to know how I might show 
Christ-like attitudes and how I'm going to serve and be, you know, a part of the Tekoa community. And said, well, I can do this. I'll write something, but it's going to be all about me. Why don't I turn around and start asking a few other people what they think? And did just a powerful, if you have a moment, you know my son and, and, and Matt, or if you'd ever like to look, you know, he'd probably be like, geez, Dad, you did that. Uh, did a YouTube video along with it. And just look, and there were a lot of people, uh, friends within the body here, other sheep, that gave him uh, very powerful, uh, just, hey, this, this is what I see in you. And thinking and being uh, 18 and saying, hey, tell me, tell me what you think I exude and how I can show Christ. And I said, well, you know, you've got a lot of, of weight on your shoulders that now that holds on. You need to carry that torch forward. That is viewed as, as you have uh, a lot of middle schoolers are, are his friends uh, downstairs, in fact. And so I just thought it's very interesting as we start to dig through and see this perspective. So what I want to do is shift gears here and move through three different individuals and three different stories. And um, you should be very familiar with at least a couple of them. The other one you might look at as a brand new perspective, and I, and I hope all three uh, bless you here. But we're going to talk about handling faith, restoring faith, and strengthening faith. And then we'll come to a conclusion and kind of put all these perspectives together. So the first one, I'm going to read to you Genesis 22, 7, uh, 8, and then we're going to skip forward to 13. And this is where, uh, for, for those that uh, you know want to catch up on the story, <clears throat> go read it, but it's basically Abraham being told, hey, ride your son up this mountain and do what? Sacrifice him and, and, and uh, you know, do that for, for me as, as he was called to do. So, but Isaac spoke up. Little Isaac <clears throat> turns to his dad and says, hey, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb. For burnt offering, so the two went on together. Well, and I think there was a cool message a few, uh, few months ago on this one where Pastor Mark talked that out pretty nicely. <clears throat> uh, then he goes, okay, we shift on to 13. He put the son on the altar, right, if you follow the story. Starts to go for the sacrifices. He says, Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And what did God do? God said, stop, right? And what did he do? There behind him. And I went, whoa, wait a second. Sometimes I'll just read right past this. There behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went, took the ram, and what did they do? They made an offering, and they called, called upon God and um, you know, named the mountain as they moved through that rest of the story. <clears throat> as we look at this, the lamb and the ram... What has happened here between, uh, between Abraham and Isaac and the first covenant with God is that covenant passed through. The promise passes on through to Isaac, it just, and it continues on generationally from there. <clears throat> we move in, and we start to see here the ram actually is a clear representation of power, overcoming and achieving a ram for those that need the quick 101, a ram is the adult sheep, is the, the male adult sheep. <clears throat> so it's power to overcome, achieve, the assertion of strength in creative ways to achieve a breakthrough. And then we look, and the ram clearly provides a point to the gospel in being Jesus Christ. As Jesus was a man sacrificed for us, it is a clear object lesson 
showing us as Jesus is going to come, be humble from behind, being there viewed upon as in society is, is, is you know, not, not um, being, being um, an apostate and, and not saying the words that, that are true and, and, and appropriate. As he comes in, we find that we have a clear representation of what's to come many, many, many thousands of years later through this. So the second one I'll walk you through is Nehemiah. And this one is very interesting. Is Nehemiah is, is an is a awesome book from a leadership standpoint. And we think of Nehemiah as he's called to do God's will. He's the cupbearer. He's way, way, way off in, in Asia. And he's got to march on back towards Jerusalem. And here we catch up to Nehemiah 3. Uh, we're going to read 1 through 2 and then 31 through 32. And I'm just intentional in trying to kind of cut this down because in, in a matter of time, I would encourage you, if you've never read Nehemiah, please go read through it. We're going to give you a visual representation uh, that's very helpful too here. But as you start out, you see then Elisheba, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep's gate. So there's significance here, and I'll go back through this in a moment, of how they're approaching and Nehemiah had gone out and, and surveyed all of Jerusalem, but chose this one gate out of 10 different gates, chose this one gate to start at, and the sheep gate. And they went and they dedicated it and set up its doors. Would ask you to really keep a close eye on as you read through that. It set up its doors, build the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which then dedicated and the Tower of Hanel and the people from the town of Jericho worked next to them. And, built, and beyond them uh, was Zikr, son of Irmi. And they go on and continue to, to build on the gates. And we finish the rebuilding, which was done in a matter of 52 weeks. There's significance there, but we don't have time to dig into that. <clears throat> as they move through, uh, it says, uh, Malachi, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the wall as far as the housing from the temple servants and the merchants across from the inspection gate. And then he continued as far as the upper room at the corner, not the same upper room, but the upper room at the corner, uh, which was the guard's house. And the other goldsmith and merchants repaired the wall from that corner back to the sheep gate. So what I'm going to show you here as we walk through this is the whole aspect of the gospel, the gates and the gospel, as we dig in to Nehemiah a little bit further. And looking, the kingdom infrastructure and the gates have both practical and spiritual significance. And you'll be able to see that clearly here in just a moment is rebuilt in the manner of pointing a place of honor and status. So in our final judgment, the sheep are placed on what? The right. The right side. <clears throat> the wall, as we look at this and understand how this wall is built, and Nehemiah approaches this wall, he builds this in a manner of counterclockwise direction to the right. The highest so you look at perspectives in the kingdom and go, wow, there's little things in the Bible that sometimes we just skip right over and go, no, there's, there's amazing significance here. <clears throat> and starting and finishing at the sheep. So he finished the entire job. We needed to have Jerusalem intact way, you know, it's, it's, uh, way before the time, the, the, uh, 400 years of silence, way before the, the time of Jesus coming even onto the scene, we get this rebuilt uh, call that Nehemiah has to, to finish that. 
In here also, not enough time to dig through it. There's probably a lot of uh, further digging that we could bring into Nehemiah. And you look and understand as we're talking about in the kingdom that people are a significant part of all of the aspects of the kingdom. You look at here, there's many groups of people that played parts. There's priests, skilled trades, and Jews from all over Israel. There's a lot of significance in that. And then faith is rebuilt even at the presence of enemies, all pointing to the gospel. You say, well, wait a minute, what, what are you talking about? Well, if you read through the story and fast forward, in the manner that they finished in 52 weeks, you start to see where in all of that, they're being just torn down by various enemies. Oh, you can't do that, and being rebuked and told that they shouldn't be doing this. And you think, I mean, rebuilding the walls of, of Jerusalem, they're they're pretty huge, pretty significant there. <clears throat> so as we look at this, we start to understand up in that upper right corner, you've got the sheepscape. And that's Nehemiah 3.1. So the 3.1 stands for the verse that aligns with it. So you, you hold me true to this. You move on, they go on to the fish gate. And they come through, as I was indicating, in a, to the right, a counterclockwise purpose. So He's bringing honor and homage to the kingdom and building kingdom infrastructure in the way that he approaches this. I'll also tell you as you move through the gates and see a significance of each of these gates, we clearly find that even as, as Nehemiah is building this and doing what he's doing, you've got the gospel message right there clearly in each of these gates as it's being built. You move through the sheep is the Lamb of God, right? He, Jesus is our Lamb of God. The fish gate, he died and resurrected. Just as Jonah for three days, Jesus spent three days in the tomb. You have the old old gate, which actually in, in the uh, King James and uh, the NIV, I believe they call it Jeshana, uh, which is new creation. There's the valley gate is that Jesus was always with us, even in the valleys, even in, in the hard times, right? He told us he'd be there. As we move through, you have then the dung gate, which that's where they threw the rubbish and all of that. And you look and go, wow, that's interesting as it's even in position. <laughs> and you move through, and he makes us new, right? We move on to the sixth gate, the fountain gate. He gave us the Holy Spirit. We go further on is the water gate is where he washes us clean. And the horse is he's going to be returning and won the victory, right? And the east gate is he's coming again. And then the inspection gate is called to be ready. And I added something to this as I, I kind of looked through and, and was digging in, in different research and went, wait a minute, be ready. But guess what? He didn't say be ready and wait. What did he call us to do? The Great Commission. Be ready and share. So <clears throat> really as you look through all that, you start to understand. But then even in here, this one just blew me back. All the way throughout Nehemiah, you find where all of these other gates, all of these other nine gates, talk about the bolts and the bars that were put in place. The sheep's gate, no significance. And digging in further, there were some interesting correlations of, well, they thought the sheep's gate walked towards Golgotha and all that, and he'd always come through the sheep's gate. The sheep's gate does tell you, if you look through Peter, uh, they speak about the... Um, uh, uh, the... Or, um, Excuse me, it's the, I'm trying to think through my head here a second. The, 
the pool, the pool, uh, pool of Bethesda, sorry, I'm thinking something different. And the pool of Bethesda is right near the gate, and that's where they would wash the sheep. And you stand there and go, well, wow, Jesus did some pretty amazing miracles as he moved through and worked uh, at the pool. So a lot of connecting points as we start to look through that. <clears throat> so then we move on here, and we have our final content, and this is where Peter is restored and start to look through, and, and God really spoke through this one to where we, we tend to focus on, do you love me? As he's out there, and even further on up in the story, we talk about the significance of the right. Well, what did Jesus do? He shows up on shore, says, hey, Peter, he didn't catch any fish. Well, Peter just went back to doing what he wanted to do, going fishing and all that. He says, go ahead and drop your net off to the right side. He's fishing on the left side. Go on to the right side. What He brings in a huge... Uh, catch and what do they do they, they, they put it on shore but then even Peter before this give you the, the story up to it he jumps out of the boat right and starts swimming towards and these guys are left in the boat to, to do things but he's there and they're eating and I'll finish it up with John 21 15 through 17 he says when they finished eating Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you love me more than these yes Lord he said you know I, that I love you Jesus said feed my lambs Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus, take care of my sheep. Then the third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked him the third time, do you mean, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. As we look through this, that whole concept of, of perspective is leading and feeding. Even facing challenges, and we think of all of the things Peter did. And even as you go in and dig into Peter's life, it's like, man, really? It's really interesting. Um, there's a whole other message I, I'd gotten out of here. One, one little verse that Peter had said, it was very interesting. <clears throat> but as you move through, he remained accountable even as you dig in, and who was the first one to do uh, the, the preaching right after the Holy Spirit came? Peter. And what happened? 3,000 people come to Christ. <clears throat> so you move through that, regardless of one's spiritual maturity or lack. And I'm going to dig into this in just a second. As believers, there's always necessary tending and care. Jesus, the whole time, was acknowledging that Peter loved him, right? Yeah, he loved He, he, he repeated it. Yes, there's a restoration of going in and saying he denied Christ three times. <clears throat> but Jesus was focused on the mission, right? He said, feed my lambs. Feed my, my, my initial believers, the people that are the young lambs. They don't know what's, what's you know, really uh, true in the kingdom and, and need tender care and understanding God's word. Take care of my sheep, right? There's a continual maturity that we all have to have. We're all in that walk, regardless of our age, right? And then moving along is feed my sheep. That's for the opportunity that even as we can continue to tend and care, there's still always an opportunity for further maturity. <clears throat> always, always, always an opportunity. <clears throat> and so as we look at this, is the transformation is absolutely necessary to place our feet on the rock and point to the gospel. So whether you're reborn or you continuously transform, you move through all of 
what God has asked us to do is continuously sharing and understanding the gospel. And, and I'll say real quick the tangent that I didn't want to run down too much. <clears throat> but in, in this verse, you go further on towards the end of John, um, John 21 there. And he goes, Peter goes, what about him? And God just threw that one. And I went, there's a whole message behind that. Because even in restoration, three times, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then he goes, well, you know, this is how you're going to die if you follow through the whole thing. But then Peter even stands up right after that, as we are in the flesh. Hey, what about him? And it's like, no, wait a second. I'm talking to you. You don't need to worry. And, um, and that's Jesus. And that's just the reality of how sometimes we are. We can be even stubborn as sheep and knowing what our call is to do. So as believers made in a new creation, here's a thought for you. Consider where you lead and how you follow. And as I said before, it's, it's not here to pick on a shepherd. It's not here to pick on the sheep and or looking at it from, from a, a unique perspective of how we are animals or not animals in God's kingdom. But we all have a flock, right? We do. And we're responsible for the flock that we have here collectively, at home, <clears throat> as individuals within the marketplace. Who's your flock? How is your flock? You know, and that's really getting into where Jesus says, look, this is the Great Commission. Go out there and show love. Go out there and care for my people. Go out there and spread the good news. <clears throat> so as we look at this in the final judgment, I'm going to bring our, our verse back up here. And I want to dig into it from a different perspective. As I said tonight, it's all about perspective. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate the people as shepherds separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed, my father will inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. It says he will. What really hit me hard on this verse, it does not say we will. He will. We don't have a choice of who's a sheep or who's a goat. He will. We can quickly run over this. And it was just kind of hit me, and I remember standing back there talking to Pastor Mark, and we were just working through, just here's kind of where, where I'm landing on the message. And he goes, man, that, that one's a good one. Go ahead and run with that. Because it's, it's just a matter of looking at it and saying, who's all responsible for truly understanding how we are to bring sheep and be out there? <clears throat> so I leave you with the final thought tonight, that it's not the kingdom is full of sheep. It's full of sheep and goats. He knows who the goats are. We don't. And how they are led and fed is important to God. <clears throat> so the opportunity in the kingdom as we look through this, as John 10, 16 said, I have other sheep too that are not in this fold. And what is it? It says, I must bring them along also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. But how does, how does Jesus share his voice today? Through us, through his word. And so while we can stand there and say, well, okay, I don't need to worry about the final judgment because he will go and take the sheep 
and separate them from the right and to the left from the goats. And uh, they'll, listen, they'll listen to his voice, my voice. Well, no, we're, we're, we're not out of that. We still have to go and share. We are his voice. We are his church and have a huge, huge opportunity to play in that. So I leave you with a conclusion tonight here, and we'll pray. <clears throat> Is there's dimensional aspects, right? We talked about all the different ways, mono, bi bifocal, and the 360-degree uh, aspects. But there's many dimensional aspects of the kingdom of God. The obedient sacrifices, as we think back to Abraham and Isaac, we're willing to make and think of what Nehemiah intentionally, he didn't just go, hey, you know, I'm going to rebuild Jerusalem. God said I should do it. Let me march on over there. He was very intentional and very focused. And even through that, we have the gospel message. <clears throat> we look at, at how it reflects the strength and how we lead and feed the gospel of Jesus Christ. So even as we have the opportunity and maybe we're a sheep sitting at a moment to where, wait a minute, I'm just kind of here being a participant in the body. And yeah, you know what? I may have called them a, a goat. I may have, have said things or just have a, a, a stigma about someone that necessarily I should not have because we are all in this together and we all have an opportunity to make sure that that, that final judgment in truth there shouldn't be any goats, right? There shouldn't. So we look, and it was very interesting here too, is we landed last week on the final verse. Uh, one of them that, that uh, Pastor Mark had shared was Colossians 1. It's one of my, it's, it, it is my favorite verse. And walking through the supremacy of Christ. And as I dug in and, and heard the word, I was sitting back there writing down my notes. And God goes, you, you can read through that. But there's more to this in Colossians. As we finish out what the supremacy of Christ is, I'm going to share with you, but I want to first read the first uh, portion of this. So <clears throat> this is in Colossians there, one, and walking through and telling us why Christ is, is so significant. So the son, of <clears throat> the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn all over creation. For in him, all things were created. All things, right? This is heaven and, and things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and what? And in him all things hold together. But if we move forward into verse 23, which wraps up the supremacy of Christ, it says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not remove or move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. And I went, oh, man, I love the first part. But I said, thank you, God. Your word is so beautiful. Because if anything, I hope that that sums it up. That regardless if you stand there and say, well, geez, he talked about sheep and he talked about goats all night. And yeah, I agree, disagree, or I'm not a sheep. All of creation has been given the opportunity to hear the word. And as I started to, I said, look, I, I, I missed the first um, kingdom series. Caught the second one, was awesome. Had a, an interesting perspective with the picture that may come forward in another message that I, I, I will stand up here and, and proclaim. It was very interesting. And I told Pastor Mark, I said, this is the way the Holy Spirit works. 
And if I even tried it in looking at all of the tactical content that, that Garth had put together, an amazing word in the message. And then last week, uh, as we kind of continued this series and talking about God's word and speaking and how God speaks, all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, even if we tried, and I tell you, <laughs> we did not sit down and plan all this out. God's got some really awesome things that he's putting together for this kingdom message. So let me pray for you. We'll send you on. Definitely appreciate the opportunity to kind of walk through different perspectives and share this. And uh, thank you for that. We thank